Hey everyone, this is Matt from the Attack and Release Show. I just wanted to say that if you like what we are doing and all the work that Sam and I put into everything and you think that what we do does not suck, if you can go onto iTunes or wherever you listen and give us some stars, likes, uh, whatever it is, I don't know what all the platforms have, and leave us a comment. And it lets us know what we're doing good in and what we're doing bad in. Um, yeah, also... If you like the intros and outros, Sam makes all of them, and he has not repeated the same one, like, twice. So, if you like them, let him know, and yeah, here's Sam with another sweet intro. Thank you so much for tuning in to the Attack and Release Show. My name is Sam Moses. I'm with my good friend, Matt Garber. Hello. And today we want to talk about why should anyone work with you over a one million dollar studio? So Matt, is that a Doctor Evil? $1 I was trying. My voice didn't quite get there. One million dollars. Uh, so bad. I don't have $1 the gift of impersonation. So you kind of got to get like all phlegmy. <laughs> yes. And with my pinky next to my and, mouth. Yeah, and Mike Myers ish. Do you have a bald cat? <laughs> No, I don't. Sounds a weird sentence. <laughs> so, Matt, do you want to unpack the suitcase and explore why should anyone work with you over a $1 million highfalutin bougie studio? Bougie? What's bougie? You don't know what bougie is? Get that money. No, it sounds like a weird genre of music. Bougie. Bad and bougie, Migos, one of the biggest songs of 2006. 17, 16. I'm our, not really cool. Our audience can correct me. Bougie is essentially um, flashy, Money. bling, uh, things like that. So a, bu- mm. a bougie studio. Why would anyone work with you over a the bougie studio? The youngster vernacular. <laughs> exactly. So let's unpack it. I'd love to unpack it. So why should anyone work with you over a million dollar studio? Let's get something cleared up from the start Everyone listen. (laughs) There is nothing wrong with having a $1 million studio. And we've just picked the number $1 million because that seems like a lot of money to most people. So, and a lot of big studios probably have at least a million dollars of gear and building. But before we dive into this, dive, (laughs) we just want everyone to hear that there's nothing wrong with having a studio that is bougie and amazing and that has millions of dollars of gear. There's nothing wrong with that. But I mean, if you do it and like you can make it work and you book it and it's consistently booked, right? then you should be freaking proud of yourself. Exactly. So That's the there's disclaimer. Obvi- there, there's, very, there's nothing wrong with it. I mean, if you have it and it's sitting empty, you might want to reconsider either marketing or life choices, but... I mean, but there's nothing wrong with having it if you're booking it out and you're doing good work. Yes. So that is our disclaimer. And so now we'll start the conversation. So Matt, I'm going to throw it at you this time. Mm. Why should anyone work with you over a $1 million studio? Mm. With me, it always goes back to... Like at some point, 
And I'm skipping like way down our like our agenda and whatnot. It's totally fine. Uh, at some point, you are able to turn out a better product uh, or perhaps a product of the exact same quality or even maybe a lesser grade product. However, you make up for that in other ways, in other areas. Um, hey, Sam, did I ever tell you that I like to tell stories? I don't think so. <laughs> well, buckle up. It's story time, kids, with Matt it's Garber. It's story time, kids. Like, someone's going to, like, click, like, the whole, like, 15-second fast forward. Like, they're just going to push that, like, six times. Now's the time to do it. Don't do it, Matt. <laughs> stories are great. Tell and your then story. You'll get to why, and then you'll get to why Sam thinks that, and he, well, why you should work with someone over a million dollar studio. <laughs> so when I used to run my cigar store, it was a it was on a four by twelve mile island in it was like the most southernmost barrier island off of South Carolina. And Sam and I did some math and we had to move some zeros around, but that's forty eight square miles. And someone's gonna like come in and be like, No, you're wrong. But whatever. <laughs> whatever. Our math's been wrong before. So and essentially, there were three other cigar stores on that island, or yeah, there were, yeah, I, I was number three. And you pretty much sell the exact same product. You offer the exact same service. It and at some point, you had to differentiate yourself from the other place. Like, what's going to draw those people into you, as opposed to going to the other store? Now, there was the convenience factor of you being closer to where they were when they decided they want to go to a cigar store because it's a destination store as opposed to, like, I don't know, like, a music store. Like, while it can be a walk-by thing, like, oh, let's go in the music store, um, the other type of retail is a destination. So you specifically leave where you are to go to there to purchase a specific something from them as opposed to, like, an impulse buy, like, you know, like at a register or something. Like, mm-hmm. oh, look, a Reese's. Um yeah. So, so there's the convenience factor of it. And then you had what really kind of came down to um, like the atmosphere. Now, I uh, made a lounge in mine so you could hang out and you could smoke a cigar in my place. I offered, I was the only place on the island that offered um, beer and wine. It was South Carolina was weird and we couldn't offer liquor. Like, you had to have. What was it? In order to offer liquor, you had to have a kitchen, but if you have a kitchen, you can't smoke. So it's just like this naughty triangle of you can't do this. (laughs) Naughty triangle. Yeah. uh, 2019 verbiage coming at you. (laughs) So the the naughty triangle of what you can legally get away with in terms of uh, uh, consumption. (laughs) Whatever. Um, So essentially you had to find a way to set yourself apart. And even if you did not have, you did not meet like one of those criteria. Like you say you didn't have the certain cigar that somebody was looking for. You didn't have the type of beer or something that somebody was looking for. Typically they would go to some something else and they would hang out because you at least had the vibe or you had the clientele or something like that that really made it a really fun and enjoyable place to hang out and to be in. Um so even if somebody was driving from the completely other side of the island to come hang out with you and pass the other two stores up. So it was a very interesting dynamic and it was 
it, it kind of taught me a, a, a bunch about marketing. Mm-hmm. Um, so how does that relate back to mastering? Is you can even have a lesser product than say somebody in a million dollar studio that is absolutely perfect and you know they're going to do a killer job on your master and or I mean if you're in a mixing situation or I mean this is really applicable to a many more facets of life but I mean if you offer that certain type of experience or vibe or whatever you can almost get away with a lesser product mm-hmm. um, but you know as you progress in what you do I mean eventually in theory you would get better than like essentially the target and it's like you're studying that and you're involving yourself in that and you know what that and en- like if you if you're trying to be like an engineer it's like what does this engineer do and then what does my person want and i can perhaps do more of that or i mean you can only go so much louder than somebody before you start crushing it into a limiter so um yeah i think that's kind of i think that's kind of where i'm going to start is well like you could be better or you could be the same. Uh, if you're asking the question, why should anyone work with me over a million dollar studio? Uh, chances are it's because you offer a better experience yeah. and you care about the music more as a whole. And uh, while the experience, like at least with me, might not be quicker as who the guy across town, he does all Jay-Z's mastering or Kanye's or somebody's. And... It's like, I don't get that, and I'm never planning on ever getting that. It's not really a goal of mine, and I'm not quicker than him. And, But I do believe that I have a little bit better of a product because of the experience that I offer. Mm-hmm. And it's like an obnoxious amount of communication and me letting people know what's up, what, where their project is in the stage of mastering, letting them know that like this isn't just being like shuffled through, like... You're just like uploading something to Lander. So, and it's like, it's a whole care thing. And then, like, on my delivery, it's like, I make sure you have everything you could possibly need to make this a, a, a success. And I like give you like a couple paragraph email of like everything that you could possibly need. And then, if you need to contact me further, it's like, yeah, let's go do whatever we need to do in order to get something taken care of. Mm-hmm. So, if you need to call me at, 12 o'clock at night, which I had a client do back in the summer because someone screwed up their uh, uh, their CDs and they weren't going to have them for the show. That was in three days, and that's when the plant let them know. Well, then you need someone who knows how to get around that and can talk to like either you or is willing to talk to the plant and be like, you screwed up. Yeah. You, got, like, you, you run thousands of CDs a day. This guy orders 500 and you're going to say that you need a rerun when you like actually digitally screwed up the DDP somehow, and you need to do like this quick 250 or 500, and you need to overnight them. Yeah, and that's not on that's not on the client's dime. Yeah. So I mean, you need someone to go to back for you, and I don't think these larger places are willing to do that. Right. So I don't know. That's just me. I'm kind of an asshole, but <laughs> whatever. <laughs> but it's like I'm willing to fight for people. Right. Because I want someone to be happy, and I want someone like, like you know, just so little about like what's going on at the mastering stage, and I want to involve myself a little bit more in that. Yeah. So I mean, I mean, that's kind of how I set myself apart, and I don't know. I care. Absolutely. So, what say you, Sam? 
I say similar things. I want to say that one of the best things I think you can do is ask your clients why they work with you from time to time. And I kind of do it each year. That's cool. I will um I will ask my clients, not all of them. I will ask the ones that are consistent um because those are my ideal clients, people that give mm-hmm. me work every month at the rate I want who have been doing it for, you know, a year, two years. I will always ask them a kind of, you know, how is everything? <laughs> like do you still like my product? And mm-hmm. sometimes people have suggestions which is helped my workflow of what they want delivered to them. Sometimes people will do extra steps on the back end where they're like, I actually really want MP3s, but I just never mentioned it. You know, and Mm. I'm like, oh, well, I can just print the MP3s. Please don't just convert it in iTunes or something random. Yeah. Like, let me do that for you. Um, And what I have heard over and over again is that people work with me because I solve a problem. Um, which is mastering. I make the experience really great. Um, and the way I make the experience really great is I am genuinely excited about the projects I do. This goes back to finding your ideal clients. The work I work on is work I actually love doing. It took me years to kind of carve a lane with people of what I like to work on. Um, it also requires a lot of saying no to things that don't fit into what I want. Um, and it's it's really about giving them the experience. And like you said, Matt, it's, it's caring about the music. So I will mention things about their mixes that I really liked. Um, it's things I'm doing in my head already when I'm mastering. If I'm like, oh, the drums sound killer on song number six here. This is incredible. I will tell them, hey, the drums on track six sounded incredible, which is not a lie. You know, like Mm -hmm. we're in an industry that basically anytime you accomplish your goal and you're ready to move on to the next step or trying to get to the next step, you're almost immediately you run into this brick wall of like critique and feedback. And that is like really can be detrimental to people of anytime I send a master out pretty much the only thing I get back usually is critique, you know. And that's kind of part of the gig. And I have some clients who, you know, will praise my work. And that's always wonderful. And I tell them, thank you for saying the low end sounded great, you know, or you did this really well. But for the most part, and it's and no one owes me, no one needs to take care of me, but we kind of run in this industry where, you know, if you're a producer, an engineer, and you've been mixing or mastering or whatever stage you're at and you've put you know, all your blood, sweat, and tears into it, and you feel like you've taken it to, you know, hopefully the best it can be, and you send it off, and then two minutes later, three minutes and 30 seconds later after they listen to the song, you know, all you get back is like, hey, can you change this, this, and this, and this? And that can be a really hard thing to digest where you feel like all you're always getting is just criticism. So I try to, I try to, you know, create an atmosphere or culture where, you know, I tell people if I like their songs, I, I make a note of it and I tell them what I really like about that. And people mm-hmm. have brought that up of saying, you're like one of the first mastering engineers I've ever used that actually seems to actually like really listen to my music mm-hmm. um, and let me know that you enjoyed it and it wasn't just you heard it, you ran it through gear and sent it back. And 
I have a number of Sterling clients and people that used to work with the million dollar studios and the guys who have, you know, one, two, three, six, ten Grammys. And they now work with me because they were not they are not getting the experience that I provide them. They don't feel like um, they don't feel like they're heard. They don't feel like they have input. They don't feel like their engineer really cares. And this, I think, is a big deal, is becoming a bigger deal for the music industry as people, I think we're having a return. There's kind of this movement of like, let's get, to me, I see it as like, there's a push for like auto-mastering with Lander. It's like, let's cut out the human altogether. And there's people doing that route. And then I feel like I've noticed a, my success has come from um, caring about people and forming the relationship. The opposite of artificial intelligence is what I've been doing. And that mm. has grown my business, you know, quite a bit over the last three or four years when I realized, oh, most people are, you know, you pour your heart and soul into music. And, and if you're a songwriter, you're writing about very personal, intimate details usually. And the last thing an artist wants to do is be like, yeah, I sent it through an algorithm in, in the internet. <laughs> like, mm. That seems like that represents... It's mastered. Yeah, everything I've been doing. And even to, for them to send it off to like a, a big box place <clears throat> and you send it, you upload your file, you pay your bill, and you get a file sent back to you. There's no discussion, really, unless you're an A-list artist or label. And that just that's a miss on the art. And even if the product is great, people seem now more than ever, they want to know who's working on it. Do they even care about it? Do they care about me? This money I'm spending on you is a lot for me. Do you realize that? Do you see that? Do you hear me? And that to me is why people work with me consistently over the giant million dollar places where you've got master engineers who... And I want everybody to hear this isn't a knock on the work. Um, I'll say with Matt, you know, I do think I put out a better in product than a lot of places because of how much I care. I think I catch I things. you were going to say I put out a better in product than Matt. <laughs> I put out a better in product than Matt. <laughs> but I think part of why Matt and I put out a better in product than a lot of people is because we do care about the details and we do pick up on things that can be enhanced or tamed that give the artist, you know, that matches the artist's vision. And that goes a long way when you have a client that starts to notice that, you know, an album, if, if a good client for me is like an album a month. Um, so I'm doing 12 albums for them a year. They'll start to notice the consistency, uh, the attention to detail. And that to me is, you know, those clients tell me that it's like, that's why I work with you. You know, and I will always, you know, they're loyal. And that's what you want is you want loyal customers or clients that basically, um, you know, they say, whatever you charge, we'll figure it out. Um, and mm. I have clients like that. And that wasn't always the case. But over the years of doing this and, and providing exceptional service and, and a good product, People, that's just, it's a rarity now in the music industry. Um, and I think that's, to me, that's the selling point of why people pick me over the million dollar thing. And that all leads to this one statement that I was told by one of my um, mentors, which is actually just one of my friend's dads, who is 
uh, a very it's successful so businessman. But last year, it had been about a year and a half ago, we were talking about my business, and he told me this quote that I think he said he didn't make up either, but he said, sell the sizzle, not the steak. So good. Yeah, and that, it's one of those like, You'll you could just see it on every crappy entrepreneur Instagram site ever, where it's like a piece of steak, and it's like sauces, not steak. But it it blew my mind, um, and it's a simple concept that basically he was reviewing my website and stuff, and the way I interact, and he was like, he's like, hey, you're you're good at this, you know, you're making money on it, you know how to do it, you know, the problem of growth, you know, for you isn't that you you're not. You know, you're fully competent, which is always nice mm-hmm. to hear. And most people, and I feel like most of our audience, when I hear people's work or people ask me to critique it, I'm like, you're actually good at this. You're pretty good at this. Like, you can do this. Um, and he was just saying, I needed to focus on selling more of, you know, the sizzle, which is, he was saying, like, you know, when we meet, he's like, you're optimistic, you're positive, you seem to care about details, you care about your customers, like, you talk about them a lot, your clients. And he was like, you need to, like sell that more when you meet people mm. and let them know like you know if you want to beat out sterling then you need to let these people know like hey give me a chance like i'm going to i'm going to give you the best experience i'm going to give you one of the best in products you've ever had and you're going to love it and you know it's kind of like <laughs> is it men's warehouse where it's like you're going to love how you feel <laughs> guarantee it <laughs> you're going to love how you look yeah something like that Guaranteed. Somebody in our audience can can let that us know what that is. There. Yeah, but that's the idea of basically presenting. You know, when you know you're you're competent and you know your product's good, which I think takes some time to finally have that confidence of realizing, yeah, I, kn- I actually know what I'm doing. I know how to put everything together, make a DDP. I know what codes are. I know what metadata. All these things that encompass the whole of mastering, as far as the way the industry describes it. Um, then it's time to sell that sizzle. Like it's time to let people know that you actually are the best fit. You actually mm-hmm. do care. You actually will do the work on time and on budget, and that you're the best fit. And that's where I feel like I started playing that. And essentially, I mean, I guess I feel like what I just described was sales. But it's like you're this industry needs people to tell people that they're good at what they do and they're going to take care of the problem by selling mm-hmm. that sizzle. And that is my number one thought almost every day when I talk to new clients. It's like, I got to sell the sizzle and not the steak because we all know, and that's this whole episode, is like, we can all buy the same gear. We can all buy the same studio, essentially. We could all drop a million dollars and take out a crazy loan. And we can all do that, but none of that is a sizzle. It's just the boring old steak, you know? It's like... I cook a mean steak. I know. I love steak too. So as I just said that out of my mouth, I'm like, but I like the steak. (laughs) I like the sizzle and the steak. But maybe that's the. But it's like, but I I, like kind of diving into it. Yes. The question also is, what's going to sell the steak? Ah, there you go. Because the steak is the product. Right. But the steak doesn't always sell itself because sometimes, in fact, the steak is shit. Right. So it's like, what's going to sell it? I mean, if you're seeing a steak being cooked. I mean, every time I cook a steak, I don't have a grill, but I have a cast iron skillet I cook mm, them in. That's a good way to and do it, actually. I like every time 
We'll do a podcast on the perfect steak. Yes. Like screw audio for one time. <laughs> we're gonna each we're gonna each do a a little monologue on how we oh, each cook steak. Do the cast so, iron fillet with some butter. Ooh. Sorry. I can make almost any cut, like make your mouth water. Oh yeah. Give me the most shitty cut of beef and I can <laughs> turn it into something great. But it's like back to what I was saying, it's like, yeah, you have the steak, but if my wife is in the general vicinity, I will like whenever that steak hits the searing hot pan, she's like, "Yeah, that's gonna be awesome," <laughs> <laughs> and it's like your mouth immediately begins to water. Yes. So, yeah, the sizzles the pitch, man. The sizzles it. It's what gets you curious, you know. And then you stay around for the steak. You got to taste it. That's well. I mean, you're you're sold at that point, right? Exactly. And I think that's you know, if you think about if you go to a nice steakhouse. They don't just say the like... The sizzle is the close. Yeah. The whole ABC, always be there closing. There you go, always be closing. The sizzle is the close. It is. Because if you went to a steakhouse and they're like, here's a 12-ounce steak, but they don't do that. They're like, this is a 58-day dry-age salt in the back where Joey has been watching it marinade for 58 days. He will bring it out by hand. He is hungry as hell. <laughs> He's super hungry. He smells real bad. <laughs> He smells like the meat. That's who you want marinating your meat. Joey smells dry-aged. <laughs> Joey wears dry-aged cologne to make the meat feel more comfortable in its environment. Joey wears salt blocks <laughs> as clothing. Exactly. And Joey will hand-sear your steak. <laughs> and he's been staring at for 50 He's been days. staring at He knows every centimeter of that steak, which is the thickest part where the fat is, the marble, how to put that thing on there and sear it. And he's going to bring it out we to you a, on an aged blues cheese. We have a bunch of like vegans and vegetarians being like, I can't wait to skip that episode. <laughs> <laughs> I have a locally grown kale from the backyard. Uh, uh. <laughs> All right, back to audio. <laughs> so that's how you sell the sizzle, you know, instead of the steak. And I find when you sell the sizzle... And for everyone who's like, what's my sizzle? You know, to me, everyone's sizzle is essentially themselves. We all, you know, we've pre- I've preached this before. And I think everyone does things uniquely and we hear things uniquely and that then becomes kind of our sound, I think. That's my opinion. And that can become part of the sizzle that we offer people. And I think that's, that's a good place to start to find your sizzle. Um... But yeah, that quote to me has really kind of changed my whole life the last year and a half, and it's increased my business for sure mm. and why people work with me over you know, the million-dollar studios. So those are my thoughts on that. No, man, that's, that's incredible. Let's jump back to kind of the beginning of our, um, of our outline here. Sure. Because I think part of part of this conversation that you and I talked about, Matt, in their pre-pro here, was figuring out what you need for where you're currently at um, will dictate kind of, I think part of this conversation of, you know, when we started, we said, you know, there's no shame, there's no, the disclaimer is there's nothing wrong with having a million dollar studio, but I would like to touch on the idea of like, when should you 
if this is a question, when should you have the million-dollar studio or work with a mm. million-dollar studio? Because I don't think there's anything wrong with it, and, and you and I have talked, Matt, and people in town know, like, I eventually would love to have a ginormous creative hub studio that I'm sure will cost a million dollars, you know, on some level. It'll probably be a million bucks or more. And for me, I guess I could start as just saying, like, when I think about that goal, you know, I would love to have that in the next 10 years. What I need right now isn't that because I'm not even A, ready for it. I don't have the clientele for it. I don't have all my ducks kind of, not that I have ducks in a row to do anything or, or start something. But for me, where I'm currently at right now is I just need to kind of stay the course and keep saving my money and growing my business and my client and talking to people about this creative hub and the studio thing I would like to build in the next 10 years. And that's kind of where I'm at right now. And what I need right now is basically what I'm doing, which is I have a nice build out in my house. I have the gear I like that helps me get the sound that's in my head out. And I have a growing clientele. So, Matt, would you like to talk about that, of figuring out what you need for where you're currently at? Yeah, and I mean, I'm just kind of unpacking that whole idea in my head. Unpack. And, I mean, where I start is, why would I want a studio that's that expensive to begin with? Mm -hmm. That's good. And I think that's a question that we should both answer. Yes. You go first because <laughs> I don't want to influence your answer. I have my answer in my head. Okay. So the reason why I want, you know, a million-dollar studio, and I only say that. If not, that's ever a reality. Yeah. Yeah. Is because I personally feel like it costs that much to create the experience I would like to create for not just clients. I mean, I've told Matt, like, in my in my optimistic dream world of what I'm doing, and I think it will happen, I want to have a studio that's essentially free to record in and that has great gear. And if you're a band, you can come in for a week or whatever and track for free, bring in your engineer, hire one of our in-house engineers. And a lot of people have been like, why would you do that? And my reason is just kind of like, why not? Because I want to create, I want to take that burden off of people and allow people to create more music. Um, I guess it also operates as a natural funnel to if you had a mastering studio connected to it. Well, that's true. I mean, I do plan on mastering out of it, and I actually, honestly, I never thought about that. Well, I mean, I mean, I'm just like hearing, oh like gosh, you and I talked about it about an hour ago. We didn't even, much, I didn't even talk about that. Like just kind of <laughs> listening to you, it's just like that's kind of a natural sales progression. Oh, it is. But I mean, it's 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 passive aggressive yeah. you know, to like a degree. I know. It's like you have a master group attached to it, but it's like, oh no, we're gonna go master with somebody else. Oh my god, that's not attached to the free studio uh, to that, that we just out. recorded in for zero dollars. That's funny. Yeah. See, it's my, kind of passive aggressive. My intentions are pure. <laughs> I want it's it, pretty. It, you don't have to work with me if you record at my studio. You don't have to have me master it. Uh, <laughs> um, I'm sorry. Oh, it's so funny. Um, yes. So, yeah, the million dollar thing is. I, I live in Nashville, so 
Real estate's expensive, so that's a that's a nice chunk of change to just get a, a building. Then I would love to track bands the old-fashioned way, which would be like via a console, or if I don't do the console, I'll have recreated a console in, in racks in 500 series, which is probably the route I'll go because I have a little more customization there, and I don't have to deal with console maintenance. Um, but... I've done the math and it's it's a million dollars. It's more than a million dollars. So my reasoning for it of wanting one is strictly because I think for me and what I would like to do and offer requires a certain amount of tools and those tools add up. And that's just for my own personal goal. Um, my other, you know, other thing I'll say about working in a really nice studio that I've seen with people is and why I take people to really nice studios um, is because the experience is pretty incredible. When you're in a room that the Beatles recorded in, that can be very inspiring and get a performance that is essentially priceless, that doesn't have a monetary unit, where the million dollars is now kind of like a wash because there's no amount of money that could be placed on someone giving their best performance that creates their best song that mm. you know becomes a number one hit or connects with their fans and that kind of um, transcends monetary units to me Um, and I think there's you know I think you can have on the other side I'm not going to act like I haven't made incredible music in a bedroom with people where the you know the session ends and it's a microphone in a closet and you're like oh my gosh that's incredible because we did it in a closet (laughs) so like it creates its own vibe and things and Hmm. And the struggle of not being able to afford to go to a no big kidding. studio and and the emotion and this has got to be the song. This has got to work. It's got to be great, you know. Um, so there's there's kind of always two sides to the story, but I find value in quality things. I find value in quality studios because I personally think it's easier to get a pro result if you have people that know what they're doing. I like to think I know what I'm doing, um, and I know if I have better gear that's for mastering. I've noticed over the years, last 10 years, as I get mastering gear specific, I genuinely believe I give a better end product. Um, Mm. Now, does my client know the difference? I'm not sure. But they're not paying me. Like It's not up to them. It's for me. It's on the responsibility to me as a master engineer, the code of ethics, I'll just call it, of like, it's my job to know that buying a mastering limiter that's made for the mastering stage, and if I'm claiming to be a mastering engineer, if I use that and I go, you know what, this is actually better, um, this actually makes a better sound and gives them a product that's closer to their vision, um, you know, it's, it's on me to use that limiter then for that project. Or acquire I think it. I have an answer for you. Come on, let me get the answer. And I don't want this to sound me. I don't want this to sound like I'm saying you were kind of beating around the bush with it. But I'll tell you why you should do that. Come on. And the reason is because I don't really think it matters at the client level anymore. Mm. Like of you wanting to invest in gear, and that sounds very odd. But so so stay with me. Staying. Um. <clears throat> I think if you're able to get a equal to or better end product than 
than you were getting before you had, say, your massive passive. Mm-hmm. Whether it's your silver one or if you get a blinged out gold face one and you put it on a chain <laughs> and you just hang it on a wall and it just sits there, you know, for vibe. <laughs> I just think it's funny they made gold plated ones. Um, and anyway, if it helps you get a product that is better to or better than or equal to what you're able to turn out, but you're able to do it in a more efficient way and you feel more confident about the quality of product that you're presenting to the client, mm-hmm. then at some point, I don't think the the client's opinion on, like, I, I don't think it necessarily needs to be of concern. Because if they think that you're turning out a better, or if you're turning out a product that's the same or better, so long as it's not worse. Mm-hmm. But if it helps you as an engineer develop as an engineer, and like you're able to like appreciate what you're doing more and you're taking more pride in it and you feel like you're not cutting corners and you're not having to use eight things to get that the one thing that this piece of gear can get you at some point i don't really think that the other opinions necessarily are valid yeah i mean not valid but i don't think they necessarily hold as much weight in the situation and you can i, I don't i don't know if i'm wrong in that but that's just kind of my thought right now yeah, I don't know. I just think if it helps you get a better end product, yes, or the same, but you feel more confident, yeah, because you're a, because you're using better quality things. I mean, inherently, if you're using something that's better quality, you probably are going to get some difference in like in audibility. Yeah. So I mean, using something that's tube based, you're going to definitely have something that's different than if you just use a digital like harmonic generator, right? Booster, whatever. Yeah. I actually have a plug-in idea. I'll tell you about it after all of this. But Excellent. <laughs> you got to remind me, though. I will. Okay. So my answer, yes. because I'm keeping track of time, and Sam and I spent a lot of our time in pre-pro kind of catching up, and we talked for an hour and a half, and now we're running out of time. <laughs> <laughs> we're friends, actually, outside of this podcast. We don't we are. call each other. We were catching up. Um, so this will be a short episode. Everyone's like, "Thank God!" They're gonna like go on. They're see this uh, podcast only forty five minutes. They're like, "Did someone die? Like, <laughs> do they have to call an ambulance halfway through?" Okay, I'll get onto this. So, uh, what would I do with a million dollar studio? Something I think is really funny, and I'm really glad that this person did it. There's a mix engineer, and I think he does some tracking as well. Uh, he's out of. I think he's out of Franklin. I think you and I both know him, Sam. His name is Jay Hall, and he does like incredible mixing. And if you go to his website, it's like j.hall.com or something like that. It's literally just a landing page where you can email him or you can go to his Facebook. And it's like I think that's what I'd want. I don't know. I don't know if he has a million dollar studio, but like that's what I would want. Like I'd want to not show it, and I'd want just to be able to, like let people like in theory like my skill would be worthy of that of a million dollar studio and i'd be able to offer like a product that is pretty solid for a million dollar studio and like i would love to be able to provide a product that people are like yeah that's definitely worth and that definitely came out of a place that is really incredible and essentially being able to take somebody's music to the absolute incredible stretches of everything that they could ever imagine 
their mix to be, that's all I'd want to do. Yeah. <laughs> I would want to, that's like, I don't want fame out of it. Like, I would just, I would hide everything. And I, I wouldn't like soak in, go into this like mystery mastering thing. It's just like <laughs> my studio doesn't matter. If I can turn this around, offer the same level of service that I currently offer and deliver a product that absolutely blows your mind because of this investment that I have made, that I am able to hear the inner depths of your mix and able <laughs> to like do as much as I can to make your mix sound freaking awesome. Yeah. And so that you fall in love with it, I mean, that's incredible. There's a YouTube video about um, the guys from Focusrite. They went around and looked up all 10 ISA 110, I think that's it, consoles that were made. Um, And the guy, like, tours around the whole world trying to find them and stuff like that. It's kind of cool. But one of the studios that they were in, I guess they had recorded a rapper, and the rapper said... You know, I, like I go around the world and people tell me that I'm dangerous and that I'm sexy. And he's like, I've never thought that until like, like, and he was like sitting behind the console listening to what they just recorded. And he's like, this console makes me sound dangerous and sexy. It's <laughs> just like, that's kind of cool. And it's like, to be able to like have the tools to be able to like manifest regardless of I mean, of course, you're going to have limitations per recording and, like, quality and whatnot, but, I mean, to be able to have the ability to make somebody think that 100% of the time or at least close to, I mean, that'd be that'd be my goal. And just, like, to turn out something that somebody is so 100% of the time eager and proud about and can't wait to share. Mm-hmm. And you add, like, a stupid amount of value to it because you were able to like hear and find and create or whatever adjective you want to like interject there to essentially deliver the best thing that you could possibly ever deliver mm-hmm. like every time so that's me like getting like you have quality so that you can essentially deliver the best quality that could ever be desired yeah so I like that. It's kind of weird, but that's kind of me. And I kind of, I just like what Jay Hall does. He just like, it's like, yeah, you go to it, it's a landing page. It's like email or Facebook. And it's like, damn, that's cool. Yeah. He's a lovely <laughs> so, person. I've mastered yeah. a few of his things. Yeah. I've been over to his house and I've had beer with him like years ago. And yeah. It was before he, it was before he built his new studio, um, which I hear is, sounds fantastic. But, yeah. Um, yeah. He's just a hilarious dude. So, <laughs> Yeah, I don't know. That's what I'd want. I'd want just to, like, the studio at that point just doesn't matter. Yeah. It's like, let's just turn out something of insane quality and, like, let's make you ultimately proud of, like, what you have spent, like, a solid chunk of life and money creating. Yeah. I so, like that. I mean, that's that's my goal. So, um, yeah, keeping this at our normal time, let's uh, let's wrap there. Let's wrap. I think that's perfect. I think that's a good episode. It was great. This might be the best episode. <laughs> if you're not taking notes, just push rewind just in push like rewind. 45 minutes. Yeah. Like, you got it. You're good. Yeah. On your way home. Oh, well. It's great. Anywho's. If you like. Once again. Yeah. 
Oh, I was gonna say. I was gonna say. I was. I was. I was you, you can. You can. You can do the whole if you like everything. No, I was just gonna say. If you like this episode, let us know. <laughs> oh, okay. Well, if you like the podcast, once again, give us a review <laughs> on iTunes or wherever the heck you're listening. And uh, yeah, I'm really digging the way this podcast turned out. So thank you so much for listening. Um, a little bit of an update, just because I like to update the people who like plug us. Yes. We like right before recording this, we just rolled over thirty five thousand downloads. Mm-hmm. So thank you so much. We could not be more thankful. We have currently thirty six hours and nine minutes of recording. I hope we're that interesting. Whatever. <laughs> if not, <laughs> we'll figure it out. All right, Sam, get the music ready. Let's uh, let's wrap this pig. Okay, Kiwi, the music. <laughs> okay, morning, afternoon, evening, whatever y'all are having, have a darn good one. Thank you so much, as always. <laughs> Wrapping the pig. <laughs> it's not alive. <laughs> you don't cook an alive pig. Oh, sorry. You barbarian. Sorry. <laughs> Sell the sizzle, not the steak. Uh, Sell the sizzle, not the bacon. Pork. That's pork. There you go. Cue the right. music. Morning, afternoon, even whatever you're having, have a darn good one. Thank you so much for listening. See y'all next one. <gasps> Bye. <laughs>